Welcome to Growing in Grace with Pastor Victor Morrison. This is a ministry of First Baptist Church located at 1700 Milam Street, Columbus, Texas. We are praying that God will bless you as you listen to this message. If you would like additional information on worship times and ministries at FBC Columbus, you can find out more at our website, fbccolumbustx.org. And now, take your copy of God's Timeless Word as Pastor Victor gives today's message. Hello, friends. Welcome back to Growing Grace. So glad that you can join me today. I want us to talk about Hebrews 9, verses 23 to 28. Perhaps you've sang the song before, What a Friend We Have in Jesus. I have a question for you. Do you have a friend in high places? If you know Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior, believe me, you have a friend in a very high place. We're going to look at the high priesthood of the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, whenever people use that phrase, a friend in high places, they're referring to someone who knows another person who socially can be quite influential or quite powerful. So I was thinking, who do you know that is in a high place? I know that whenever we know Christ, we definitely have someone that is in a very, very high place. I would say the highest place of all. I want to tell you a, a testimony. This is true. This really happened. It happened with my oldest daughter, Elisa. Right after we adopted her in Japan, we were missionaries there in the nation of Japan, and my father uh, contracted cancer. He had brain cancer, so we wanted to take my daughter, who at that time was still just a few months old, we wanted to take Elisa to the United States to see my dad. But we couldn't go. And we couldn't go because we couldn't get her a passport. And so all of our missionary friends began to say, why don't we pray that God would open a door for her to get a passport? So I said, all right, let's do that. So we began to pray and ask God. Well, it was really strange because I received a phone call from another missionary colleague in Japan who asked me this question. He said, did I understand correctly that you have a prayer request related to um, adoption? And I said, yes, actually I do. He said, you're not going to believe this, but he said, I have a friend who is going to be at a banquet in Washington, D.C., and he has already received the seating chart for the banquet, and he's going to be sitting right beside the ambas ambassador from Japan to the United States. So he said, would you like for me to pass along any prayer request to him? And I said, that's interesting. And he said, one more, one more thing that you, you might want to consider. I said, what's that? And he said, this banquet is a banquet on international adoptions. And I said, how cool is that? So I said, yes, if you don't mind. I said, what we're trying to do, my father is sick, and I would love for him to meet my daughter before the Lord would call him home to heaven. And so um, he said, I will have my friend mention it to the ambassador. He did. You won't believe it. I received a phone call from the Minister of Foreign Affairs 
in Japan. Never, I didn't even know him, who he was, but he introduced himself over the phone and I told him the situation. He told me, I want you to go back to the passport office tomorrow. And he said, you uh, have every, everything you need for your daughter's paperwork and we will give you a passport. And so I went there that day. I'm not joking. Normally it takes six to 12 months to get a passport there, but we, we received our daughter's passport that day, in one day, all because we knew someone in a high place. I'm so grateful to the ambassador uh, from Japan to the United States, but I don't really mean him. I'm referring to our Lord. So let me read this verse of uh, scripture here, and then I want to share a few more things just by way of introduction, and we'll begin. It says in Hebrews 9, verse 23, Thus it was necessary for the copies of the heavenly things to be purified with these rites, but the heavenly things themselves with better sacrifices than these. For Christ has entered not into holy places made with hands, which are copies of the true things, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God on our behalf. Nor was it to offer himself repeatedly as the high priest enters the holy places every year with blood not his own, for then he would have had to suffer repeatedly since the foundation of the world. But as it is, he has appeared once for all at the end of the ages to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. And just as it is appointed for man to die once, and after this comes judgment, so Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time, not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for him. What would you think is the most meaningful truth that you could share with a believer who's going through a very difficult time, who's really suffering? Well, the believers that this letter to the Hebrews was written to, they were under pressure. And they were considering going back from Christianity back into Judaism. So the writer's admonition was for those weary soldiers of the cross to consider the preeminent superiority of Christ. This is why he was inspired by God's Spirit to frequently use the term better. Did you pick up on that in verse 23? that Christ made better sacrifices? Often in the letter to the Hebrews, that word better is used. For example, in chapter 7, verse 19, he talks about we have in Christ a better hope. We have a better covenant in chapter 7, verse 22. Chapter 10, verses 3 and 4, we have a better possession. Chapter 11, verse 16, we're going to a better country. Chapter 11, verse 35, we can have a better life. Let me tell you something. Because Jesus is superior to all other things religious, let me tell you, he is the one that can introduce us to this better life, better country, better possessions, better covenant, better hope, and better sacrifice. That's awesome. Well, I just wanted to point out one more thing, and uh, then we will begin the other thing is, three times in the passage I read, it uses the word appear, appear. 
In verse 24, it says he now appears. But in verse 26, it says that Jesus has appeared. But in verse 28, it says he will yet appear. So with those three uses of the same word appear, I would like to share with you about the incredible ministry of our high priest. Friend, I'm telling you, you do have a friend in high places. Let's look at it together. Verses 25 and 26, let's begin there. These verses assure us of what is known in theological circles as justification. Justification. I recall Billy Graham saying many, many years ago when I was just beginning my Christian walk that the word justified means that it is just as if I'd never sinned when I come to Christ for my sins to be forgiven. But how can that even be? The reason it can happen is because of the high priestly work of Jesus Christ. It says that he has appeared for all to put away sin. You see, he paid the penalty for our sins. Our sins deserve judgment. Our sins are really serious before God. That's why there are verses in the New Testament even that speak of condemnation. But the good news is, it says in Romans 8, 1, there is now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. So why is that? Why is it that the condemnation is taken away? It's all taken away because of the incredible sacrifice that Jesus made for us on the cross. You see, Jesus was sinless. He was perfect. He never disobeyed the Father. He never rebelled against the Father and resisted Him. That's why when He died on the cross, it was incredible in the spiritual realm that He would do this. So whenever we place our faith and trust in Him, then the penalty of our sins is totally forgiven. I want to share a few other cross-references that refer to this in the book of Hebrews. For example, in Hebrews chapter 2, verses 17 and 18, it's going to use a really long word. Be ready for it. It's coming at you. Propitiation. Propitiation. Here it comes. Hebrews 2, 17 and 18. Therefore, he had to be made like his brothers in every respect, so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. For because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. What does that even mean, the propitiation for our sins? It means that God was really angry. He was going to pour out his wrath on those who had sinned. But because Jesus stood between the Father and us, because the Father gave his Son to be this sacrifice between our sins and a holy God, that's why our sins can be carried away. Our sins can be annulled and forgiven as though we had never sinned. Isn't that amazing? I mean, we deserve the penalty, but instead Jesus said, I'll take the penalty on the cross. Well, there's another passage at the end of chapter 4 I want you to hear. Listen to what this one says. Let us therefore strive to enter that rest so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. 
It goes on to say, since then, we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Do you, do you need help? Well, all you've got to do is go to this throne of grace. You're so welcome there because of what Jesus did. You see, these verses are assuring us that his sacrifice, it was perfect. And that's why it is so effective when it comes to standing in place of our sins and taking the penalty that our sins deserve. One more cross-reference here from chapter 7. Once again, it's the final verses of chapter 7. For it was indeed fitting that we should have such a high priest, holy, innocent, unstained, separated from sinners, and exalted above the heavens. He has no need, like those high priests, to offer sacrifices daily, first for his own sins and then for those of the people, since he did this once for all, when he offered up himself. For the law appoints men in their weakness as high priests, but the word of the oath, which came later than the law, appoints a son who has been made perfect forever. You see, not only is his sacrifice perfect, I'm telling you, it's permanent. And that's why for all eternity, you won't have to guess or be afraid. I wonder if that's ever going to expire. Oh, no way. It's finished. As a matter of fact, there was an evangelist who was in a certain town in the United States, and he was preaching a crusade like a revival. This particular crusade or revival meeting was being held under a tent. So it came time for them to pack it all away. All of the meetings were over. So they're packing up the tent and pulling up the pegs, tying up all these ropes and so forth. And a young boy comes up and he says, are you the evangelist? And he says, yes, I am. And he says, what must I do to be saved? And the evangelist looks at him and he says, I'm sorry, it's too late. And he said, oh, no, I've waited too late. He said, you mean it's too late because the crusade is over? And the evangelist looked at him with kindness in his eyes. And he said, no, what I'm saying is, you ask me what do you need to do in order to be saved? I'm just telling you, Jesus already did it because it's too late for you to do something. So right there, that young man was able to trust in the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross. And he was welcomed into God's family. Wow, what wonderful news that our high priest paid the penalty for our sin. Justification is a wonderful truth that is found in Scripture, but it's not the only one. There's another truth called sanctification. I want to present that one to you in verses 23 and 24, especially verse 24. It says, For Christ has entered not into holy places made with hands, which are copies of the true things, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God on our behalf. 
there's a difference in the tense of the verbs. When I was speaking about justification, that word said, he has appeared, past tense. But listen again to the tense of the verb in verse 24. Jesus has gone into heaven itself now to appear in the presence of God on our behalf. Do you understand what that's saying? What that's saying is that our high priest who laid down his life for us so that we could be freed from the penalty of our sin now is at the right hand of the Father offering us this incredible gift of power over sin. That's one of those verses I read earlier about how he was tempted yet without sin. So when we go and talk to our high priest, there he is at the right hand of the Father. Think about this. You are represented. I am represented right there at the throne of God. Christ has not only gone into the temple that's in Jerusalem. Oh yeah, he walked there at one time when there was a temple there in Jerusalem, but not, not the holy place made with hands, he says. Jesus was able to take the sacrifice of laying down his life for us. He took it all the way into heaven itself and is now at the right hand of the Father. And so what it says that he's doing there now, he is there interceding on our behalf. So not only do you have someone who is present right there beside the Father, saying, Father, this one belongs to me. Father, this is what this one is asking right now. But you also have someone who is there interceding for you. You know, in Hebrews chapter 7, verse 25, it says, Consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. Isn't that wonderful? Have you ever felt like, I don't think anybody is interceding for me. I don't think anybody has me on their heart. No one prays for me. Oh, yes, they do. Friend, I want you to know Jesus is at the right hand of the Father. And as a matter of fact, even in Romans 8.34, it says it again, that he intercedes for us. I remember reading a long time ago when I first became a Christian, an exciting passage about Simon Peter. You know, Peter was saying how he was going to be with Jesus until the very end. But then Jesus looks at him and says, Simon, I'm telling you, you're going to deny me before the rooster crows. And so he was so discouraged. But then in Luke 22, 31 to 32, Jesus said something interesting to Simon. He said, but Simon, I've prayed for you and I've prayed for your faith that after you have suffered, that you will strengthen your brothers. And you know what? The father answered that prayer. That's exactly what Simon did. Sometime you ought to read in Acts chapter two, exactly how bold Peter became later. But I just find that fascinating that the son of God would have time to pray for somebody like me. Man, that's so exciting. See, my mom and dad, they're factory workers. I don't have any friends in high places other than knowing Jesus Christ, who sits at the right hand of the throne of the Father right now and says, Father, I want you to listen to what Victor's saying because he's praying in my name. And so it's so wonderful to have somebody there who's interceding for us, but to also know he's there on our behalf. 
So it makes a difference if someone has pull, right? If someone is at the right hand of some important person, then if they have pull, that's incredible. There was a, a Scottish evangelist many, many years ago named Robert Murray McShane. Perhaps you've heard of him. But someone wrote this quote down of Robert Murray McShane, and I wanted to share it with you because to me, it really gets at what we're reading right here about Jesus helping us with sanctification, helping us to grow in Christ, helping us to keep moving forward in our Christian life because he's our high priest. He's right there at the right hand of the Father. But listen to what Robert Murray McShane said about Christ praying for us. He said, if I could hear Christ praying for me in the next room, I would not fear a million enemies. I thought to myself, wow. And you know what? I agree with him. If we only knew just how profound a truth that is biblically, that Jesus Christ is right there at the right hand of the Father to intercede for me and for you. Man, that's good news. Let me give you one more exciting part about salvation. You know, salvation is really, it can be broken down into three stages in a way, because in a way, we are freed from the penalty of our sins, right? Well, that's justification. Then there's also that element of, wait a minute, what about now? Do I have to let sin push me around now that I'm a disciple of Jesus, now that I'm a believer? No way. No, the Lord will help me. He will give me power to resist temptation whenever it comes into my life as I talk to him. So then here's the third one, not only justification and sanctification, but there's also glorification because the, the, the atonement of Jesus Christ also provides a way so that someday I will be away from the very presence of sin. He will protect me from the presence of sin. I want to just introduce you to that as we close out our time together. Verses 27 and 28. Listen to 28. So Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time, not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for him. I probably don't even have to do this, but I just want to ask you, did you catch the tense on that verb? Man, this is amazing that all that Jesus did for us as the high priest, it started with canceling out our sin debt. Uh, maybe sins you've done years ago. We can all be forgiven because of what Jesus did. But he's not going to just forgive your past. I'm telling you right now in our present, Jesus is right there at the right hand of the Father, interceding for us, helping us to resist temptation and to follow his will, giving us guidance and so forth. But that's not the end either. Not just now. Oh no, someday in the future, it says he will appear a second time. He's coming back and he's coming back to take us to heaven so that we can be with him for eternity. You know, I'm told that the Jewish high priest, they used to have to tie a rope on his ankle because he would go into that holy, holy place, the most holy place once a year to offer the, the uh, sacrifice on the day of atonement. Well, if he didn't do things just right, God's so holy, he would die. 
in that most holy place. So they would have to just pull him out of there. So the people would gather around and wait to see, will the high priest come out or not? And so he went in there to make the sacrifice for their sins, okay? So what they're counting on is, Lord, help him do it right, so we'll be forgiven. Help him do it right, so we'll be cleared. That's what they were thinking at the time. So whenever that high priest came out of that, that temple and he was alive, then they thought to themselves, ah, we can breathe. He's alive. He's real. Well, you know what? That's the same thing with Jesus. Someday he's coming back. That's why we have to trust him because think of all he accomplished. It says that he went in there, offered one time to bear the sins of many, and it's done. So that's accomplishment, right? But the arrangement is we still have to wait because he's not, he hasn't returned yet, right? But it doesn't mean he's not coming. He will appear is what this promise says here. He will appear to save those who are eagerly waiting for him. Are you eagerly waiting for the Lord Jesus? I am. I'm so excited. He's coming back. Listen, if you haven't, I want to give you a warning here from verse 27. Verse 27 is meant to help us go ahead and get off of high center and make a decision for Christ because it says, and just as it is appointed for man to die once, and after that comes judgment. I want you to be in heaven with me. I really do. Jesus wants you to be in heaven with us because he gave such an incredible sacrifice as the high priest. And so here's the thing, though. There is an appointed time. You know, in our Sunday school class this past week, someone was sharing about how a man was walking down a staircase in his home in his sock feet. And because his socks uh, were slick and the stairs going down the stairway, they were slick. He slipped and he struck his head on the stairway and he was killed instantly. Isn't that terrible? Here's the thing. We have to be prepared. And that's why Jesus died. And that's why we have the Bible written so that we can know, so that we can say, okay, this is the way of salvation. Everything has been accomplished. Everything has been arranged. So now I want to put my faith and my trust in him because after death, if we've not trusted Christ, it says after death comes judgment. So this is really eye-opening for some people around the world who may be banking on, let's say, reincarnation or something like that. But this verse says, after death comes judgment. I want you to know Christ as your personal Lord and Savior. I would love the opportunity to lead you in a prayer right now as we close out our time together. Why don't we pray together? Lord, I thank you so much for all the friends that are listening today. I'm glad they're listening. I'm glad that they want to know the Word of God. They want to know teaching from Scripture. I know that your Word is the truth. And so, Lord, speak truth into their hearts. Help them to understand it in their spirit. Open their minds so that they could have understanding. Lord, I know that your Holy Spirit has to help us with that. You're the Spirit of truth. And so would you help them to realize that Jesus already paid the price for their sins and that Jesus wants to be right there at the right hand of the Father right now in heaven interceding for them. He's preparing a place 
and he wants to come back and receive them as well. So help them to turn from sin, place their faith and trust in Christ, and to follow him until their very last breath. Thank you so much, O Lord. Take care of my my friends and give them a great day today. Thank you for this wonderful friend, the Lord Jesus Christ, that we have in heavenly places. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. This is a ministry of First Baptist Church located at 1700 Milam Street, Columbus, Texas.